So those are just, just two of the options, but there are a bunch of other life groups to choose from, but they are starting up this week. We, we're only doing a two-month block, then a month off, two-month block. So again, please don't keep procrastinating and delaying. Make a decision, sign up for something today, and go into uh, kind of the rest of this year with a healthy habit, which is so clearly connected to what we're talking about with this series on sewing, where we're talking about how practices, places, and people and um, when we're sowing into the correct practices, when we're sowing into the correct places and into the correct people and, and allowing them to affect us, it does produce a harvest over time. It takes patience, it takes perseverance. That's why uh, I even appreciate it in the advertisement for Alpha Marriage how, how they talk about habits. Habits is another word for practices. How, how the habits we put into place, if you notice what she said, it affects the marriage five years later, 10 years later, 20 years later, and so all of these things. Um, are just great, great opportunities to put habits and practices into place. All right, let's take a look very quickly at our key passage of Scripture for this series, Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 to 9. Reading from the New International Version, it says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Full stop. Okay, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The Passion Translation puts that verse this way. Make no mistake about it. God will never be mocked. For what you plant will always be the very thing you harvest. And then this, this next line, I feel is so powerful. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. So I mentioned last week, Hopefully, there are areas in our lives where, where we are enjoying a good harvest of good seeds that have been planted. And then if you're a normal human being living this side of eternity, there are going to be one or two or 17 or 48 other areas where it's like, oh, crap, I'm, I'm reaping the harvest of bad seeds that have been sown. And I don't want you to be discouraged by that. I want to encourage you and remind you that you can sow new seeds that will create a new harvest, but it will mean that we have to outlast the old harvest. So, so don't be discouraged by that. I, I just think we need patience. I think we need perseverance. We live in a world where, where just everything around us um, feeds this idea of instant gratification. Like, I, I feel that I wanted satisfied. I, I, I wanted giving to my appetites, my desires, immediately, as quickly as possible, even if it involves a shortcut, even if, even if it involves something unethical, but, but, but but we can so easily just want quick fixes, and that's just not the way of deep characters, not the way that a healthy, significant marriage is formed, it's not the way that, it's not the way that a healthy body is formed, it's not the way that, that financial freedom is worked towards, it's not the way that a career is developed. Character takes time. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. Verse eight going back to the New International Version again, says whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Flesh is just my disordered desires, my, my disordered natural human desires. Whoever, however, sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Eugene Eugene Peterson paraphrases that in his message translation this way, verse eight, the, uh, the person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, 
harvest a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, in response to God, letting God's spirit do the work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. Guys, I can't tell you how much hope these few verses give me. I can't tell you how much, how much encouragement I believe this should provide to us in our lives, in every single area of our lives. John Mark Comer, in a profound book, in my opinion, called Live No Lies, says the following about this passage. Through our regular acts of mind and body, we either sow to the flesh and in doing so, further entrench our slavery to it because whatever you feed grows. Whatever you starve dies. So if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna keep feeding, I'm gonna, I'm gonna become a slave to that. So we either further entrench our slavery to it or we sow it to the spirit and increase our capacity to live freely and joyfully with God in his world. We do this through the practice of habits. He goes on in another passage to say, therefore we must run every habit, every thought, every relationship, everything through this simple grid. Does this sow to my flesh or to my spirit? Will this make me more enslaved or more free? More beastly or more human? Remember, the key to spiritual formation is to change what we can control, emphasis there on the word of what we can, which is our habits, to influence what we can't control, which is our flesh. In other words, I can't control every desire that I have. I wish I could. Can I get a witness? Right? No, I mean like seriously. Do you ever get hot for, like just angry? Like what the fr how am I still freaking feeling some of this stuff? I don't wanna think this, I don't wanna feel that. I don't, listen, it, it can be exhausting. I wish I could just flick a switch and never ever be tempted towards anything. That's just not life. Anyone even feel like you wrestle over that stuff in your sleep? It's like, what? Even my dreams can be hectic. It's like, anyway, so I can't control the desires. I can't control all of temptation. Obviously, I can control whether or not I keep exposing myself deliberately to foolish and unwise desire. But, but the fact that it's there to begin with is something that I have to fight against with that which is in my control, which is my habits. It's my practices. It's what I can do. Verse nine, don't worry, we're only doing three verses. Verse nine, last one. Let us not become weary in doing good. Don't become weary in doing good. I mentioned last week about the Chinese bamboo tree, which has to be watered and fertilized, this stupid seed, without seeing a single flipping thing for like five years. Like it's just sheer faith. You just keep watering, fertilizing, watering for it. But then one day, boom, it just starts to sprout and within five weeks has grown to 30 meters. Don't grow weary. Just because you're not seeing the harvest yet, just because you're not seeing that change, that fruit, no, come on, man, just keep, don't grow weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Don't grow weary in doing good. 
I cannot begin to express to you the, the positive burden that I have towards a fresh vision for goodness. A vision that believes that, that, that healthy, life-giving fruit really is possible to be present in our lives. That healthy, life-giving relationships really can be formed and progress. That, that we really can grow as good people. That we can grow in our kindness, in, in our patience, in our gentleness, in our faithfulness. That we really can become people of love. This might sound really strange to you, and, and I know that it is strange. I, I can't say how this happened. It just worked out this way. But over, over our, our time of leave now, over, over Christmas, um, I ended up reading and, you know, like a bunch of stuff, not intentionally, I mean like books, and then listening to a podcast series that, that was like a, a gripping um, documentary on the rise and fall of, of what was a significant church um, known around much of the world the pastor was very well known around much of the world. They'd grown to about 15,000 people, give or take 15 locations, and then closed in a day. Obviously, it didn't close in a day. It took years, but it appeared to have closed in a day. And so this whole thing was, was a very slow, steady investigation of just some of the stuff that can go on in churches and the narcissism and, and, and how so often we can cut corners and allow the, the end to justify the means. Because even in this church, like people's lives were genuinely being changed. People are still serving God, like, like, like lives are being changed, yet there was a bullying, there was an aggression, there was, a, there was just this ugly, blind narcissism. And unfortunately, and I'm hoping you don't know too much about, but I'm telling you, I, I know of way too many stories, way too many churches, way too many pastors, and then I've got to look at myself, I've got to look at my own heart, my own, my own motives, our, our own culture, because it does become a culture. I was reading Eugene Peterson's biography, and I was, again, just, just deeply moved by his honesty and, and vulnerability, but also by his determination to, to keep allowing God to grow him. I read another book called Tov, which is literally the, the Hebrew word for good, which, again, was doing a bit of an assessment of churches that are not so good, um, and, and trying to you know, encourage and speak life into okay, what do we, how do we develop empathy instead of narcissism? How do, we, how do we work towards a culture of goodness where the ends don't justify the means, but where the means really matter because people matter and so often we can roll over people, drive over people in order to get to the end. I'm just giving you a little bit of my own backstory as to why I am deeply, deeply, deeply moved and hopefully committed, please God help me, to, to just growing in goodness and us as a church and, and as people where, where more and more employers or teachers would want you in their classroom or in their business or, or in their social circle because you're just good. I don't mean perfect, and I don't mean sweet because whatever your definition of sweet is might be really distorted. I, I just mean good, like, like you're nice to have around. You, you have a sense of humor. You don't take yourself too seriously. You, you have a thick skin but a soft heart. You, you are present. You, you can in, you're just good. Okay, so I think we need a fresh vision for goodness. Here is a summary of what we're busy dealing with when we talk about this idea of sowing. Our goal is to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus would do if he were me. That's our goal. That's, that, is the, that is what we're trying to move 
towards. The reason for this, why? Is because followers of Jesus will want to grow in loving God and loving people. That's just how it is. If, If you wanna know whether or not you are growing in following Jesus, are you growing in your relationship with God? It's not gonna be a knowledge issue. Trust me, it's gonna be a love issue. Am I loving God more? Am I loving people more? And the way that we wanna do this, the way that I believe God um, develops us is through positioning ourselves through practices, places, and people. Positioning ourselves to be formed by God. Positioning ourselves to be affected by God. And one of the kind of key uh, summary approaches to this is something called the rule of life. It's, 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 it's from kind of like the sixth century Benedictine uh, kind of approach to spirituality, but another way of saying it is a way of life. We all have a way of life. It's either written or unwritten. We all have a way of doing life that is either leading to life or it's leading to death. And so we want to be painfully intentional not legalistic. I don't wanna give you a bunch more stuff to feel bad about and to compare yourself to others. This isn't about comparing. This isn't about ticking boxes. I'm, I'm wanting to shift our rule of life from being unconscious to being conscious. And, and to be intentional in the way we position ourselves through practices, places, and people. So, to give you an example, please don't be overwhelmed by this. This is just an example for, for people that like to see things in a linear way. We'll have a table up on the screens in a moment. This is just an example. Wow, I'm so sorry, that's my fault. It is very small. But again, the goals at the top are just being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, doing what Jesus would do. And then the practices, um, daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually, would be in in the categories. These are suggestions. Don't feel limited by this. And don't feel like, if you're creative, when you get home, Google rule of life and images, you'll see all kinds of way more creative ways. I'm just really not creative, so it's in a table, okay? Um, Of where it's to do with our abiding, our mind, our body, relationships, rest, work and money, gospel and hospitality. This is an example of something that we actually, believe it or not, want you to work on. You listening to this is gonna do nothing. You sitting in church is pretty much gonna do nothing. You enjoying church isn't gonna do very much. You even hearing from God could be amazing and then do nothing. It's only the extent to which we respond, to which we actually put stuff into practice, to which we actually become intentional. So one one more uh, effort to assist you is if you go to our church website um, and you scroll down ever so slightly, you'll see a link um, to uh, the sort of left-hand side over there, you'll just see this, this little link that shows you the rule of life. You click on it, it'll take you to that page, which again, you click on that, will actually give you a PDF to download. It's very simple, very easy. Just simply go to viewchurchmulleton.co.za. This is an attempt to help us. Inspiration is really, really important, but it's not enough. And if you're anything like me, there've been many times in my life where I've wanted inspiration, I've needed inspiration, and I'm grateful for inspiration. But, but there've also been times where I've been so frustrated that, that, that I haven't had tools in my hands to do something with that inspiration, to actually grow in discipleship. 
So here are a couple of definitions of a rule of life. Margaret Gunther describes it this way. A good rule can set us free to be our true and best selves. It is a working document, a kind of spiritual budget, if you will. Not carved in stone, but subject to regular review and revision. Trust me, this is a work in progress, okay? It should support us, but never constrict us. So it's not about having a bunch of rules. The word rule comes from the Latin word regular, which is where we get the term regulation from, or a ruler, or, or, or a trellis that just helps direct us. Stephen uh, Machia, who actually wrote a book called Crafting a Rule of Life, says that a rule of life is a set of guidelines that support or enable us to do the things we want and need to do. That's it. We'll, we'll unpack this a little bit more later in the series, but I'm wanting to just help you understand. I don't want to trick you. Our intention is to have more and more people in our church being intentional about actually having a rule of life and evaluating that and seeing, is this, is this producing fruit? Is it helping me be, become, and do? Or is it just irritating the junk out of me and, and sucking the life out of me? In which case, change your rule of life. If the way I spend time with God doesn't change the way I spend time with people, I need to change the way I spend time with God because it will change the way I spend time with people, right? Okay, four people agree. So here is the challenge. We need to actually believe that growth is possible, that change is possible. Now, probably many or most of us off the battery say, yeah, like, of course, of course we can. But our actions don't always show that. The, I, think, I think the challenge is for a lot of people, the older you get, the easier it is to settle and to become complacent and to, and to start to believe, oh, these are my strengths, these are my weaknesses, these are my gifts, this is my personality, uh, you know, I'll just kind of like settle where I am, as opposed to actually believing that through effort, through perseverance, I can grow, I can actually be changed. I can, this isn't even a Christian concept. Secular research backs this up time and time and time again. Two ladies by the name of Carol Dweck and Angela Duckworth, you'll see a picture of them in a moment, um, have, have spent an incredible amount of time researching into this idea. The older lady in the picture, her name's Carol Dweck, she spent about 40 years researching what she calls either a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. Angela Duckworth, the other lady who graduated from Harvard, Oxford, and is now a professor at uh, the University of Philadelphia, wrote an incredible book a few years ago called Grit, which, which also unpacks some of these ideas of, of why is it that some people, I mean, she, she did all kinds of research with, business, with, with Fortune 500 uh, companies and with um, military cadets and, and students trying to understand why is it that some people seem to be able to persevere and develop even though they're their skill ability, their IQ, their, their test results when, when applying to get into um, some kind of like uh, after school program was incredibly high. They found that some people continued to progress while others didn't. And she wanted to understand this. And, and a lot of it came back to this idea of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset from Carol Dweck, who also wrote a book called Mindset. And, and the big idea is that, is that if we believe that is ultimately our, our talent, our skills, our ability that's going, to, that's going to help us progress. We've got a fixed mindset. Not much is going to change. 
But if we have a mindset that believes that, that I can put effort in, I can develop a skill, I can progress in that talent, that is, an, that is a growth mindset that, actually, that is actually surrendered to the effort involved. And I mean, they're going to all kinds of detail talking about how how parents, maybe even with the best of intentions, will sometimes respond to a child that's done really well, maybe on a, on a report or in sports or whatever. And, and it might be things like, wow, so proud of you, you're so talented. Which is great, but that's putting the attention on the talent. As opposed to, wow, you worked so hard, you put so much effort into that area. Hey. See, see what happens when you put effort in, or, or, or if they haven't done as well, and you know that they haven't put quite a bit of, what do we think could be done differently? In fact, the, the, she speaks, Angela Duckworth, in the book about um, a group of schools that, that serve about 70,000 learners from, uh, from under-resourced communities, and how the teachers are literally given a thesaurus of what would normally be said and what they want them to say. So, so that they are constantly affirming their effort, so that they're constantly affirming a, an open mindset, a growth mindset that, that tells them, hey, growth is possible, I can change, I can do something. And they have found that, they have, that, that this group of schools, from pretty much all of them from an under-resourced community, roughly 100% of them, like close to 100%, actually graduate high school. And 80% of them go on to study in university. Their whole approach is focused on developing and open a growth mindset. So, in the few minutes that I have remaining, I wanna just touch on what I'm calling the ABCs of practices. We'll talk more about places next week and people the week after that. But I'm wanting us to understand that with an open, with a growth mindset, we can commit to practices that may not show a quick result or a, or, or a quick harvest, but that if we persevere and are determined with it, because by the way, that's how Angela Duckworth describes grit. It is passion and perseverance. Passion and perseverance. It's not, it's not about gifting, it's not about skill, it's about passion and perseverance, which by the way makes me think, I think that's often part of the problem. Like, do we actually have a passion to grow? Do we actually have a passion to be people of love? Do we actually have a passion to be more kind, more loving, more patient? Because if not, then, then nothing else I'll tell you is, I mean, you can, you can use this to manipulate whatever you want in your life, sure, but I'm saying that's not gonna be to God's end. God's, God's end involves us actually having a passion, like there has to be an actual desire to see progress in this area, but then perseverance is critical. It's gonna take effort. Effort's not an F word, like it's a, it's, it's effort, it's okay. We're allowed to put effort, not only are we allowed to, we are required to. It's a responsibility before God that we have to actually put effort in. All right, so ABCs of practices. First, the A is to assess, attempt, and adjust. Assess, attempt, and adjust. What I mean by assess is to actually diagnose the need. I think too often, especially if you've been around church for a long time, it's, it's possible to hear all kinds of teachings on where you need to change and the practices that you need to put into place. I'm saying to you, try and narrow it down to a priority where you're saying, okay, God, what is the, what is the one area that you're especially wanting to work on right now? So assess the need. It's uh, similar to a, 
an occupational therapist or a physiotherapist or, or a doctor, where, where they first need to get a sense of where the need is in order to, to uh, prescribe a plan of action to actually make a difference. And obviously, you've got to assess your personality, your stage of life, your limits. I say personality because, for example, what, what might be a life-giving time in solitude with God for a hyper, hyper extrovert may look a little bit different to what time alone with God is going to be to a deeply introverted individual, um, someone that's super creative, someone that's, that's a little bit more linear. Anyway, it's okay to take those things into account. Um, just a couple of examples. We'll, we'll have these on the screen, rapid fire, are things like solitude, scripture, prayer, community, Sabbath, work and money, fasting, hospitality, and simplicity. Don't be overwhelmed by those. I'm saying maybe there's one of those that you that you saying, okay, based on this need, so I'm assessing, based on this need, I think I need to prioritize that particular, sure, I'd love to be a great Christian who's amazing at simplicity and I'll fast four times a week, so I'm super skinny and I, I'm memorizing scripture all day, every day, and uh, sure, 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 but just, just take it one step at a time, okay? We don't wanna overwhelm anyone. And by the way, again, just, just as a practical suggestion, there's a great website that gives you all kinds of teachings and suggestions around the practices called practicingtheway.org, practicingtheway.org. In fact, it's done so well that they actually package it under the categories of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus would do. But let me give you a couple of examples of maybe if you are struggling with something, maybe a healthy practice or habit to put into place. If you're struggling with pride, for example, which of course you don't want to acknowledge to anyone else, but, but, but let's just say you, every now and then you feel like the Holy Spirit is whispering to you about pride, about always being in charge, always being the loudest person in the room, always, always being able to power up and maybe you're a leader, maybe you're, you're able to get others to do what you want. A really, really good practice is simply secret acts of service. Secret acts of service don't include social media. I mean, it's like just, it's just, I mean, it's secret. Nobody knows about it. It, it starves your ego. I mean, it, I mean, like, like you get hunger pains. Like, what do you mean no one else gets to think what a great person I am? What a great, what a humble leader I am. Secret acts of service. If you're struggling with greed, and again, you can work that out in your own mind. I don't think there's any practice that's more helpful than a, a habit, a practice of giving, being generous in different ways. And again, generosity might look different for different people. If you're struggling with self-control of a bodily desire, fasting is one of the greatest practices, probably the most neglected, but one of the greatest practices that you can engage in because it, it, it again, it starves our response to just constantly giving in to every desire. Stress and anxiety, then things like silence and a prayer of examine. A prayer of examine is just, is just where you actually slow down and it's God, search me, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me on the path of everlasting life. Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24. It's just a prayer of examine, but it's also silence. It's actually slowing down. It's, God, why am I feeling anxious? Why am I feeling this way? 
I also think, and again, this might surprise some of you, that exercise, I mean physical, rigorous exercise, I mean this sincerely, can be a deeply spiritual practice for pushing back against anxiety and depression and just coping with stress. You see, I think, I think that we have so misunderstood what is spiritual because we think that like spiritual has to be something that's like churchy or has the Bible in it or print. But, but God cares about everything to do with us. If you're incredibly busy, Sabbath is an incredible practice. Struggling with discernment and your thought life, scripture reading and getting into a freedom group, battling destructive thoughts, scripture memorization and declaration. We did a whole series on this towards the end of last year. Anyone remember what it was called, Sue? Mind games, that's right. You can go back into our archives and listen to some of the sermons on mind games. Um, Emotional health, slowing, solitude, silence, Sabbath, simplicity. These are things that, that, that can help us to actually manage our emotional health in a better way. I was even thinking the other day that things like, like selfishness, like just, and I mean, again, sure, we've all got a, a levels of selfishness, but, but again, let's just say that the Holy Spirit is pointing out to us that I pretty much try and arrange my whole life around my own personal preferences and convenience, and, and, and you just kind of feel like there's a bit of a, there's a little bit too much self-centeredness. Then I think, honestly, I actually think that serving, uh, joining a serving team is, is an incredibly healthy practice that, that helps to balance out that area in our life. So we want to assess, and then we actually want to attempt some of these things, and you'll often hear us say, start where you are, not where you want to be. Just, just try it, just give it a go. And then adjust, I mean, assess again. Uh, is this working? Is this, is this having the desired effect on my life? Am I being formed? Am I, am I growing more loving, patient, kind, gentle? Am I growing and being, becoming and doing? And if not, then adjust stuff, it's okay. Make a change, these, these are not gospel issues, these aren't heaven and hell issues, these are best practice issues. What's the best practice that's gonna help me to grow? Then, so ABCs, A is assess, uh, attempt and adjust. B is simply to be patient. I know this is obvious, but I'm gonna remind you, this is a journey. Harvesting, you know, sowing and watering and fertilizing and harvesting, it takes time. Pursue progress, not perfection. I mean, if I can, I don't know if this will encourage you or just make you think less of me, but this, this last week, there were a few, and by the way, we had like five days of focus this week. I just wanna say a massive thank you to our worship team, production team. We had an incredible time. Honestly, I think, I think for many of us, it was one of the, I think one of the most fruitful times of just creating space every night to just worship, to reflect, and to pray. But I've got to tell you, and, and I don't think I'm alone, I've spoken to a few other people, like, these weeks are normally very hard for me. I feel, I feel more lum, I feel, I've, we fight more, or Sue fights with me more, of course I don't fight back, no, I'm, I'm teasing. There'll be, there'll, there'll be tension, there'll be, it's, I've, I can't explain it to you. And I don't have time to unpack it, but, but let me just tell you that there were a few times this week where I did not react in the way that I think God wanted me to react to stuff. 
I, I overreacted and improperly reacted to my family a couple of times this week. With a staff member, I was incredibly insensitive and caused a great deal of pain. I, I had to sit down, it was one of, the, one of the mornings this week, and just journal, like just, like just acknowledging the stuff that, the, 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 the effects that I've had, and like, God, why? Like, help me. Why am I still reacting like this? Why am I, why would I be so insensitive? Why would I be so short or, or irritable or whatever the case is? Not to make excuses, to understand so that I can make adjustments and make progress. I'm just saying to you, it's a journey. It is a journey. Be patient. And lastly, the C is just consistency, man. Consistency has a compound effect. Consistency is more important than intensity. I wish I had time to unpack that. But too often, we want quality over quantity, but it's actually the quantity that brings about change. Like, just keep on, I said last week, keep on swimming, swimming, just keep on sewing, sewing, sewing. Just keep on chipping away at that practice. You've heard us say this before, if you've been around for a few years, quoting J.M. Alexander, who says that people do not decide their futures, they decide their habits, and their habits decide their futures. Craig Rochelle says that successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Consistency matters. My concluding example of this is, again, referring to John Marcoma and his book, Live No Lies. Listen, it's not the easiest read, or, or, or the no, it is an easy read, it's just not a light read. But, wow, it's, it's a good read. Um, yeah, I might put you off the book if I tell you that it's broken up into the categories about the devil, the world, and the flesh. But, but it, it is so helpful um, to actually understand the battle that we're in, that we fight against our own flesh, um, against the fact that we do actually have an enemy who never has a moment of mercy, and that we live in a world that, that constantly plays to the disordered desires that we have. But I love how I've heard him speak so many times and written about his own battle with anxiety and even depression and, 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 and how he's had to uh, you know, implement practices. Like a magical prayer hasn't sorted this stuff out. He's had to implement practices and then even then he hasn't seen complete breakthrough on the, on the level that, that he would like, but, but he has seen progress. And if you'll allow me just to read a, a portion out of the section that, that is where, where he's actually referring to Galatians 6 verse 9, where he's saying, don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in doing good. In fact, in fact, the point that he's making, he wrote in an earlier chapter about a, about a friend of his who was a financial advisor who um, just after he was married, like as a young guy in his early 20s, how this guy sat down with him and explained compound interest to him, right? Compound interest, how, how the earlier you can start and the more consistent you are, it, it no longer is just about addition, but you hit a tipping point where it becomes multiplication, where it just, it, like you've got momentum and this thing just continues to grow. Forgive me if that's not a good enough explanation. But he's referring to that in the context of this passage, Galatians 6, verse 7 to 9, and how, and how if we don't grow weary in doing good, at some stage, there's going to be like a compound effect. He says, as I write this, I just came off a pretty rough week. 
few interpersonal things that me really stressed out. And by the time my Sabbath rolled around, which for him is a Saturday, I was really feeling it. I've had an adult long struggle with anxiety that while better than it's ever been, still rears its ugly head on a regular basis. Sitting there on my Sabbath, on my back deck on a beautiful day, I would love to tell you, I was just basking in the shalom of God. That's like the peace of God. Deeply happy and at peace. I wasn't. I was stressed out, mad at a friend, and feeling tension all over my body. As a nice addition, I was feeling anxiety over my anxiety and a deep shame over my inability to just let go. You don't have to put your hand up. I'm just telling you, I get that. Hey, do you want to be a pastor and still keep struggling with sin and temptation and not be discouraged and not get frustrated? Like, it's hard not to feel shame when, when stuff comes up that you wish was just dealt with. And in that moment of discouragement, when I was literally thinking, will I ever mature past anxiety's hold on my soul? I felt the spirit bring to mind my friend Steve's, my friend Steve's graph of compound interest and then felt the Holy Spirit apply it not to my retirement, but to my peace. Here's John Mark and peace in his 20s. Not much to look at. A very anxious young man with a tortured sensitivity. Here's John Mark and peace in his 30s. Better, but still a long way to go. 40s, wow. I see a noticeable uptick, but still a lot of road ahead. But by the time I'm in my 60s, deep shalom, friends, deep shalom. Come what may, my soul is at peace in God. So with that vision of my future self in my mind, I practice Sabbath every week. I can't flip a switch and control my anxiety, but I can turn off my phone. I can't rest and trust that in time, God will utilize the practice of Sabbath to fill me with more of His Spirit, set me free from anxiety, and heal the harvest of peace in my soul. I'm practicing the way of Jesus as best I can, and I'm playing the long game. I wanna encourage you to persevere in doing good. There will be a compound effect. As we do what we can, believing that God will do what we can't, as we do what we can by positioning ourselves through practices, places, and people to allow God to form us into people of love. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, that you would encourage us. Please give us a vision of the good life that you have in mind. God, please give us a vision for our relationships, our interactions with others at work and at school, challenges that we may have in our body that we can do something about, challenges that we may have with our anxiety or depression that, that even if we can't apply a silver bullet that can, where we can experience progress. God, where, where we are wrestling over and struggling with addictive, compulsive behavior and where everything in the back of our mind is telling us you've tried, you've tried, it'll never change, you can't get over this. God, would you please pierce the darkness with your Holy Spirit 
with a vision of hope. Not hype, but hope. God, even as, as I would sense that I think there are ideas that you're giving to different people here today that are in person, those online, those listening to the podcast. God, help us not just to be hearers, but to be doers. Help us to, help us to be willing to put the effort in. And if we're not, then God, please help us just to be honest about that. Help us just to acknowledge that our lives aren't worth it. That a better relationship, a better marriage, a purer life, a healthier body, a healthier mind just isn't worth the effort. Help us to just be honest at least. Help us to have integrity in acknowledging our unwillingness to do what only we can do. But God, for, for people that do want to progress, God, I just pray for such a deep, lasting, encouraging sense of the truth of these words that you won't be mocked. We will reap what we sow. We can sow to a godly character. We can sow towards purpose and making a difference that is genuinely, increasingly less selfish, more generous where we are increasingly more concerned with what lasts for eternity and increasingly less concerned with what lasts in the temporary. God, please would you give us your vision, give us wisdom as we would attempt various practices, help us to be patient and help us to persevere with consistency. And Father, for any person that is sensing their need to surrender their lives to a relationship with you. God, I pray for courage. I pray for boldness. I pray for decisiveness. Help them to be decisive. Help them to consciously recognize that they're making a choice today to enter into a relationship with you, to begin that journey, to accept your forgiveness and to choose to follow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.